Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. And we welcome you into the Green Insider powered by eRenewable. This is episode 167 of the podcast. My name is Greg Frank. We're going to be joined in just a minute by Mike Niemer as we're getting a few weeks back in time to when Mike recorded this podcast. And Mike jokes in the beginning of the podcast that the guest is a Kansas City native. And if you've listened closely enough, you know that I grew up in the Philadelphia area. And this was recorded right after the Super Bowl. So maybe for the better that I had other work obligations that kept me from recording this one. But nonetheless, we are going to hear from Mike Niemer and his guest in episode 167, who is a recurring guest. He's back for another episode. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, we're going to check in with Irrenewable COO Ann Niemer. Here's Ann. Ann Niemer here, COO of Irrenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at irrenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. This is Mike Niemer, and I'm here today with a former guest of ours who's now with Outlaw Mining. Nathan Sprague is COO of Outlaw Mining. Nathan, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate the re-invitation. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, It's the day after a big win by your Kansas City Chiefs. Two-time world champions the last three years. Feels great. Yeah. You know, our co-host, Greg Frank, who's from Philadelphia area, he he was at the game. He was on Radio Row this week for his sports show, and then he got to go to the game. So probably works out better because you're Kansas City and he's Philadelphia, that he wasn't here for the actual taping of the podcast. But you all, the listeners, you'll hear him uh, putting his magic touches on the beginning and the end of the show uh, by the time you're listening to it. So anyway, congratulations again. Let's just get into it. Nathan, tell the listeners once again, because we have a lot more listeners now than we did when you were on before, uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got into the energy space. Yeah, sure. I I come from about 16 years of wholesale power marketing and power trading and uh, power generation asset management experience. So uh, spent time at a variety of different groups. I got my start uh, in 2007 with a uh, joint action agency. We provided uh, 24-7 full electric requirements for uh, about 35 municipal electric utilities in the state of Missouri, um, you know, that largely consisted of just uh, a lot of bilateral trading and marketing efforts to uh, meet their power supply needs on a 24-7 basis. Uh, from there, I pivoted to uh, the world of solar development. I spent a couple years in utility-scale solar development and then kind of uh, shifted back into the world of wholesale power marketing and, and power trading and asset management, uh, having spent the next eight or nine years with a trading and marketing company leading their asset management efforts. So, uh, you know, focusing on best monetizing and optimizing revenues for a lot of primarily merchant generators across 
a variety of different wholesale power markets in North America. So, you know, a lot of power and energy experience that, you know, ultimately I was able to pair with my enthusiasm for Bitcoin mining and about a little over a year ago now made the pivot into the world of uh, commercial Bitcoin mining and data center development, leveraging that power marketing experience because it's so important in building uh, successful and profitable data centers and, and Bitcoin mining operations. So it's been great to pair that experience with my enthusiasm for Bitcoin and high power computing applications in this you know, relatively new and nascent interest industry. Bitcoin mining and data centers are all the buzz among the renewable space, right? You guys, as, we, as they bring on more generation to the grids, there's plenty of use for them because of all the data centers being built and the Bitcoin mining that's going on within the data centers. So on the data centers you're involved with, is it usually 100% Bitcoin mining going on inside there? Or they also have other companies in there housing their technology and uh, and using the data center processes? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a huge majority of the applications are focused on Bitcoin mining currently. You know, some of that previous to Ethereum's pivot from proof of work to proof of stake, you know, there were a number of groups mining Ethereum, uh, much like Bitcoin is still mined today. But, you know, since that shift, um, it's it's largely focused on Bitcoin mining efforts. There are, you know, some small applications focused on other high power computing, you know, batch computing applications, largely centered around things like AI, machine learning type technology. But, you know, right now at this current point in time, I would say it's, you know, 95 to 99 percent Bitcoin mining. You know, we, we personally at Outlaw Mining see future demand for high power batch computing applications growing exponentially in the coming years as things like AI machine learning uh, develop and the demand for those computing applications and compute power expand. But currently, we're not quite yet there. Um, and just frankly, the you know, the economics, despite the downturn in the price of Bitcoin, uh, you know, the economics of Bitcoin mining are still very profitable for those who can build and operate sites at competitive costs. So, yeah, the short answer to your question is it's still largely Bitcoin mining in these types of facilities right now. You know, like in, in 2020, of all the new generation that was added to the grid, 80% was renewable. And most of that was strictly wind or solar. Are you seeing that math change at all in 21 and 22? Uh, did you see a change or is it still following that same pattern it did in 2020? Yeah, at least from our perspective, that pattern has continued. Um, you know, we're obviously not focused on generation development. So, um, you know, we don't have our, our thumb on the pulse of that as, as well as others do other IPPs. But, you know, at least from our perspective, that's certainly what we've seen. You know, as, as you're aware and others, other listeners, I'm sure there's a huge backlog of generation interconnection requests in the queue across so many of these markets. And, you know, a huge majority of that is certainly renewable projects. So we've seen that trend continue and we expect it to continue that way uh, for, you know, years to come. We want to get on here today and talk about data centers in general and how they strive to be at net zero or try to uh, be as green as possible and, ha and run a, a clean facility. Why don't you talk the listeners through 
what you guys look to do when you're building a data center and how you're trying to uh, line that up with the, within the uh, world of being energy efficient, so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. Uh, this may, be, may take me a few minutes to kind of get all of this out, but we really see a, a tremendous opportunity for, you know, Bitcoin miners and, and you know, um, flexible data center operations in general to co-locate and build their facilities physically on site with renewable generation projects. And for a variety of reasons, that provides some really great net benefits to both parties. It truly is, uh, you know, one of those rare circumstances that's truly a win-win for the data center operation, but also for the renewable energy um, owner in that project. So, um, you know, in general, if you're a renewable generator, and I'm going to, you know, hypothetically assume this kind of applies to primarily wind and solar, I won't specify which because I think these characteristics apply equally and are beneficial to each. So I won't specify wind or solar. We'll just call it a renewable project. But, okay. you know, if you own a renewable generation project, there's essentially four ways to monetize your energy. You can sell a traditional PPA to, you know, a counterparty or a group of counterparties, which we're all, you know, relatively familiar with. You could sell a virtual PPA, which is very similar to a traditional PPA with some characteristics mixed in of, you know, kind of a merchant generator with a hedge position. The third option is to be a merchant generator where you don't have a specific off taker. The market is just your off taker. And then you look to implement some sort of hedge to, you know, fix and assure revenues from the project. And then the fourth option is if you're just a, a pure merchant generator with no hedge in place whatsoever, you're just generating energy and dumping that into the market as a price taker. So with those four types of options, you know, we'll, we'll kind of focus on the first three, you know, excluding the scenario where you're just a merchant generator with no hedge in place, because that's not quite as applicable to uh, the first three, although there still are some benefits. So really, um, you know, there's traditionally with those three scenarios, there's three key risks that renewable generators face with a PPA or a virtual PPA, or if they're a merchant unit, uh, you know, looking to put some hedges in place. So number one is basis risk. So basis is essentially the, the price difference in the market between your nodal generating point within the marketplace and whatever point you're settling your power supply contract at. So um, we'll use ERCOT as an example. I know uh, you guys are familiar with Texas and the ERCOT market. There's a lot of renewables, especially in West Texas. So let's just hypo hypothetically say you've got a renewable generation project in West Texas. You've sold either a PPA or a virtual PPA or a hedge um, to, to kind of fix revenues for that project. Well, your generation point in, in West Texas and West ERCOT is going to be, you know, physically separated from the settlement point. Typically, you're going to sell a PPA or a VPPA or a hedge at either load zone, a load zone point or uh, a more liquidly traded hub point. And so when you're that renewable project and you look at projecting revenues and margins to, you know, assure a rate of return that you're satisfied with for your project, you might say, 
you know, we could sell a, a $40 a megawatt hour PPA at ERCOT West Hub to a PPA off taker. And we might assume that there's a $5 spread between that hub point and my actual generator nodal price point where I'm physically located in the market. So effectively, I'm assuming I'm going to get $35 because there's a $5 basis spread. Well, what, what can happen is maybe you were right about that $40 price at the hub, but maybe there is actually, in reality, a $10 spread between the hub and your generator point. So where you assumed a $5 delta, it actually resulted in a $10 delta. So you're missing out on $5 per megawatt hour worth of revenues that you might have assumed in your pro forma in your modeling process, which can drastically uh, impact your returns. So basis risk is number one. The, the second is congestion and curtailment. So, uh, you know, a lot of these renewable generators are in areas where they're rich with renewable fuel supply, you know, lots of wind and sunshine, but they're not necessarily located near, you know, densely populated areas where there's, uh, you know, they're flush with demand. So there's a lot of situations where you've got a lot of renewable availability in terms of energy and power supply, but not a lot of demand at that point in time. So you often see the market put constraints on outputs via uh, economic curtailment. So, you know, you might have a 100 megawatt nameplate renewable generator that's, you know, maybe capable of putting out 80 megawatts at any given point in time. But because the market can't accept that or can't physically move that power to those more densely populated load zone centers, uh, you know, you might be restricted to only 30 or 40 megawatts of output. So, you know, you're missing out on, you know, 40 or 50 megawatts or whatever it might be of additional sales of megawatt hours. So you actually get reduced production as a result of congestion or curtailment. And then the third leg of, you know, kind of your core, core risk is a volumetric, um, what's typically referred to as negative covariance risk. So that just means that, you know, traditionally with, with wind and solar, you kind of see this negative correlation between supply and generation from the resource versus price and demand in the market in that, you know, when that generator is producing a lot of energy, you know, closer to 100% of its capacity, you typically see demand and price at a lower point. And then the inverse occurs when, you know, you've got lower output from the generator. Those are a lot of times going to be periods of uh, a higher demand and higher price point periods. So putting a data center physically on site and co-located with those generators really solves a, a lot of these problems. Well, you know, I've got several different things to talk about here off your list here. So let's start with your basis risk. Make sure uh, for the non-energy specialist out there, when you when you put a hedge on, you establish a basis risk. So now your price or your income is dependent on what that basis does as opposed to being flat priced. In his $40 example that Nathan gave us, if the market fell to $30, he lost $10. In his example, the basis switched to $10, but he'd had it on at five, so then it lost five. So his risk is that what the basis change is, not the flat price change. So Nathan, my question to you is, 
do you see almost all the developers establishing a basis position as opposed to being flat price? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's congestion hedging products that they can look to implement to sort of mitigate some of those basis risks. But, you know, a lot of those products are not customizable at all. You know, if you look like uh, you look at a, you know, they're, they're typically referred to as different things in different markets, whether they're TCRs or FTRs or CRRs, but they're congestion hedging products. A lot of them are flat block products for monthly terms. So in other words, if you're a, a wind generator and you want to attempt to hedge some basis risk between your settlement point where you might have sold a PPA or a hedge and your generation point, you can put on a position. Maybe that's a 40 megawatt position if you're a 100 megawatt generator, but it's a flat block of 40 megawatts around the clock for that entire month. And as you know, we all know, you know, with the intermittency and output, you're you're frequently going to be mismatched on that position. You're very rarely going to be right at 40 megawatts. You're going to have hours right. where you're well below that, hours where you're well above that. And so it's a, uh, you know, those types of products are typically a very ineffective, uh, you know, attempt to hedge basis risk. So, you know, when we look at the idea of co-locating a data center physically on site with that renewable generator, you can then put an offtake structure in place where the data center, because they're physically located there with you, they're buying energy from you at your price point. Now you have no basis risk at all. There is no separate uh, you know, settlement location. You're buying that energy from the generator right there at their nodal price point. So basis uh, has been completely eliminated from the equation. Well, you know, I think if I understand this correctly, if, if you put your data center on location of the project, whether it be wind or solar, doesn't that also give you basically putting your load, getting your load from behind the meter because it's already there? You don't have to apply for that long interconnection queue that you talked about earlier because you avoid all that because they've already got it. Is that correct? Exactly. You, you can certainly expedite a portion of the interconnection process. Um, a lot of RTOs are, you know, beginning to take more of a traditional look at this as sort of like an independent load. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't quite provide you the expedited advantage that it used to. But that's certainly uh, certainly one of the benefits. Yes. So so that the listeners can visualize the, the space that it takes up. If somebody has got a 300 megawatt solar farm and you all want to build a data center that's going to use 100 megawatts, what's the size of your building versus the acreage that they have? for those solar farm? If you can kind of draw a picture so people can understand what that might look like. Yeah, that can vary a little bit based on your design structure of your project. A lot of it depends on, you know, whether you might be utilizing an air-cooled data center or a you know, liquid or immersion cooling type process, but they don't really vary a whole lot. But the general ballpark is roughly one acre of land footprint for every 10 megawatts. So in your scenario there, where you're, you're constructing a 100 megawatt data center, you'd need about a 10 acre footprint to, to construct and operate that on. Gotcha, that's great. That's easy to, 
I can visualize what you just talked about there. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, yep. Let's see, in today's world, what else should we talk about? What about uh, tax credits or incentives that are available? Uh, what else goes into your data center thought process when you're putting something in? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, oftentimes a function of the local jurisdiction and, and their, you know, tax codes and, um, you know, whether they're willing to consider and negotiate, uh, you know, some tax breaks or abatements. Oftentimes, um, with a lot of projects we've developed and, and others uh, that have developed in the industry that we're aware of, they've been successful in negotiating a lot of tax abatements. Um, you know, most local city, county jurisdictions recognize the net benefit that these data centers can provide to the community via, you know, a lot of high paying new local jobs and, and property taxes and whatnot. So um, a lot of times just that increase in, you know, the local economy, the, the net economic benefit uh, will allow that local jurisdiction to waive, uh, you know, whether it might be property taxes or what have you, um, knowing that they might be paying income tax on uh, income they're earning for the project, as well as, uh, you know, like I said, just net benefit, net economic benefit to the community through uh, new job creation and, you know, boost to the local economy as a result of that. That makes perfect sense. When you go to start a data center project that you're going to you know, be using for Bitcoin mining, is there a rule of thumb of when the shovel goes into the ground and you start, how long till you're actually online and mining for your Bitcoins? Yeah, that's obviously going to be a function of the size of your project. But, you know, typically you can think of, about every 50 megawatts as taking about 45 to 60 days, assuming that, you know, you've got, you know, relatively easy access to most of your major long lead time components. And in most cases, we were seeing some more restrictive supply chain issues last year than we are this year. So a lot of those issues have been alleviated. But if you're looking at like medium voltage type uh, equipment, if you're not, you know, connecting to a transmission voltage system, which in a lot of these cases, when we're looking at renewable projects specifically, behind the meter data center co-located projects are typically interconnecting to the renewable generators project level substation, which in most cases is like a 34.5 kV uh, substation interconnection, which is, you know, a common medium voltage. So it's it's easier to get um, you know, a much shorter lead time on, you know, pad mount transformers and, uh, conductors and switch gear at those voltage levels and lower. So that really expedites your, um, you know, certainly your procurement timeline, but also design and construction. That can be a, a pretty swift process. So I wouldn't say it necessarily scales linearly up from 50 megawatts every 45 to 60 days. There are certainly some economies of scale, but that's kind of a, a good ballpark number. So before that shovel hits the dirt to start building, how far ahead of that time do you source PPA and your product and your and the energy? It just a lot of times depends on how long the negotiations might take. But assuming you've got a renewable generator who's at least sort of relatively up to speed on the benefits that, you know, bringing a co-located data center load can provide and, you know, they're kind of ready to negotiate from the beginning. 
a lot of times that can just be a 30 to 60 day process, um, you know, getting all the commercial terms put into a contract and an agreement, you know, alone can take, you know, kind of the same type of timeline, 30 to 60 days. So um, a lot of times you're just looking at, you know, two or three months ahead of time to, to kind of negotiate and get the commercial terms in place. Now, depending on which market you're in, the, you know, load study and interconnection timeline can vary a little bit. But uh, in some of these markets, like uh, like SPP, for example, they're relatively quicker uh, with their response times for load studies and, and getting those interconnection approvals, especially if it's an existing, kind of like you mentioned before, it's an existing an existing generating asset that's already been approved and online and operating. So, you know, physically putting a new load at that site, you know, from an engineering standpoint is relatively easy. You've got all the infrastructure there. It's a, you know, basically reverse power flow from what they studied from the generator's viewpoint. So um, it's typically, you know, makes for a, a faster approval process um, because a lot of the infrastructure has already been been studied effectively. Well, that's great information uh, for us to talk about today on the Green Insider. Nathan, the last thing I really have for you is I want to talk about that negative correlation risk that you talked about when you were talking about yeah. the basic risk. Go over that again for us and tell us a little more about that volumetric risk. Yeah, so traditionally, you know, if you're a renewable generator, and this could apply to a PPA or VPPA or uh you know, if you're a merchant generator putting a hedge position in using like a financial swap type contract, you're going to put a fixed volume of sales in place, whether you're breaking apart, you know, an off-peak strip paired with a peak strip, or maybe you're just putting an around-the-clock position in place. Whatever the case, it doesn't really matter that you still face the same negative covariance and volumetric risks. So, I'll use another example. If, if again, you're a 100 megawatt nameplate renewable generator, and let's just say you've got you, you want to put a simple around the clock hedge in place, or or maybe a, a PPA, you've assumed you've got a 40% annual capacity factor, so you're going to sell 40 megawatts. Well, you know that 40 megawatt position. Let, let's use the example of the the financial swap hedge. If you're a merchant generator. That 40 megawatt position is going to settle independent of your actual generation. So if you've sold 40 megawatts at say $40 a megawatt hour at any given hour, that's going to settle on its own and you've got your own independent actual generation output at the facility. So there's oftentimes, and when I say often, I mean 90, 95% of the time you're going to be either over generating above that 40 megawatts or under generating below that 40 megawatts. And because of that ne negative covariance risk, you always, almost always find yourself in a situation where your overhedged or underhedged position is costing you money on that settlement. Meaning that let's say you're actually producing in any given hour less than the 40 megawatts that you sold on your hedge. Let's say you're generating 10 megawatts. Well, because of that negative covariance, if you sold the hedge at $40, you're actually actually generating 10 megawatts when you assumed you'd be at 40. Odds are the price in the market at that point in time is going to be higher than the $40 you sold. Maybe it's $100. So in your financial swap settlement, you sold 
40 megawatts at $40, you're buying that back at 100. So you're losing $60 a megawatt hour on the swap position. But because you've only generated 10 megawatts in real time, you're only getting 10 megawatt hours worth of sales. Let's assume no basis. And you're collecting $100 a megawatt hour. So you've got 30 megawatt hours that are you're, you're not generating energy for, you're not collecting revenues for. So in that financial swap hedge position, you've effectively got 30 megawatt hours that are what I would refer to as a naked short position. And you're just losing $60 a megawatt hour on that spread for all 30. So, and, and that's frequently going to occur because again, you know, due to the intermittency and output of these projects, you're rarely going to be at an output level that's right at your, your volume that you've sold. You're almost always going to be over generating or under generating. And most of the time you're going to find yourself kind of upside down in that imbalance position. And so when we look at the idea of co-locating a data center on site and physically buying that energy from the renewable project, you almost always completely alleviate that risk because the data center is just going to say, look, I'll buy your energy, whatever you generate. It's as generated. I'll pay you, you know, whether it's a fixed price or I'll pay you a nodal price with maybe a, a floor price or an LMP adder, but I'm just going to buy as generated energy from the renewable project. And that means the renewable project doesn't have to agree to any fixed volumes on, you know, any sort of shaped product. So they've now completely eliminated this volumetric negative covariance risk that they, they, they would traditionally face. They might have to agree to say over a 12 month period of time, you know, I have to provide you a minimum number of megawatt hours else I might face some, you know, liquidated damages type penalties. But as long as I do that, I'm not going to, you know, put myself into this fixed block volumetric position where I, you know, would be faced with these negative covariance volumetric risks. I'm just going to sell you as generated power and you're going to pay me a predetermined price for that. So that risk has been completely eliminated. And then, you know, I, I also think it's worth mentioning just touching on you know, we, we spoke early in the podcast about the win-win scenario, the benefits to the data center. So you, you look at it from the renewable generators perspective. You know, they've now been able to essentially eliminate all of their basis risk. They're no longer facing congestion curtailment because the data centers physically there buying all that energy that might normally have been curtailed. And now they don't face any volumetric negative covariance risk. But for the data center, you know, for them, their alternative might be buying load zone pricing energy. But now because I'm physically at your generation point, I'm buying your energy there at likely a discount because this is, is negative and the generator pricing is lower than load zone pricing. So I'm benefiting from cheaper energy. Um, I'm also benefiting because I'm behind the meter. Every megawatt hour that your renewable project provides to my data center is an avoided megawatt hour that I pay TDSP charges on. So the transmission and distribution service charges, I'm avoiding all those for every megawatt hour that I buy from you. And then in addition to that, you've got, you know, like an ERCOT and PJM and a lot of these markets that have coincident peak demand charges. You know, any generation that's provided to the data center during those coincident peak hours is just 
sort of like a free offset. So I don't have to necessarily curtail all of my data center load to avoid those coincident peak charges. I just have to curtail my load net of any generation that you're providing me um, from the renewable project during that hour. So um, it, it truly is a, a win-win scenario where both parties benefit. And the, the other, I guess, final benefit to the renewable generator, and this one's difficult to quantify, but it's you know fundamentally the idea that adding physically adding load to that generation point without any change in the existing supply is going to fundamentally boost the price at that point because you know supply remain the same i mean just simple supply and demand economics now you've added demand to that point so um, that's just fundamentally going to boost the equilibrium equilibrium price point at that generator nodal price point so you know if that generator sold you an indexed type of ppa again it's difficult to quantify how much your data center load elevated the price but by simply adding that demand with no change to supply you, you know it will so there's just you know multifaceted benefits to you know both the renewable generator and the data center load which is a big reason why we love looking at these types of projects for development um, to co-locate physically on-site with these renewable generators. Well, Nathan, that is a ton of information you've given us today. Thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate you joining us on the Green Insider. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Nathan Sprague, the Chief Operating Officer of Outlaw Mining, educating us today on data centers and renewable projects. Nathan, thanks for joining us again to, for, on the Green Insider. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. 